Hear these words from Micah chapter 6. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to God with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take pleasure in thousands of rams, in ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give God my firstborn for my wrongdoings, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? God has told you, mortal one, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Friends, our new series we're starting today is just called Be. And our focus uh, for the month of August is being who God wants us to be. Our guide will be Micah 6.8. And our goal is to be just, kind, and humble. And actually, Micah 6.8 is going to be my guiding verse for the year, for this school year. And so I invite you to make it yours. Use this verse in your prayer time. Memorize it. Think about it. Ask God to make this verse alive in you. There will be a quiz, a promise. Micah 6.8, though, is my rally cry this year because I believe that doing what the Lord requires might help us face some problems. <laughs> I believe it will help us to become less polarized in a world that really seeks that kind of thing. And I believe it would help us to become one as Jesus and the Father are one because in my experience, the most incredible unity can occur, bridges can be built when you work alongside your brother or sister doing what it is that God requires, doing the mission of God in the world. And honestly, I hope above all else, my prayer is that this verse becomes so alive in you and in me that when people think of this church, when people interact with you, my hope is that, is that God might be working in such a way that others might say of us, the people of that church truly know how to be just and kind and humble. They're really following through on what God requires. And, and what is it that God requires, O mortal, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. So that's my prayer for the year. May you learn to be more just, kind, and humble. And in that effort, let us begin today with what it means to be just. Now, I'm going to tell you the story. I don't remember this story, but I'm told by my family that this is what happened. This is one of those stories your family will tell over and over again. This is uh, legend, now chapel legend. Uh, but we were, me and my younger sister, we were little, and we had lots of balloons left over for, uh, from a uh, birthday party, helium-filled balloons with the strings on them. And after the party was done, me and my sister were playing in the living room, and my mom was in the kitchen, and she suddenly heard the screams of my sister. Uh, my mom ran into the other room and saw that I had grabbed a pair of scissors, and I was cutting the strings off of the balloons so that I could reach them, but my sister could not. Um, and the screams that came from my sister were words that I'm sure you've heard before, especially maybe from children, it's not fair. <laughs> That tends to be the initial understanding of justice for all of us, I think. Justice is fairness. And if something is unfair, it is unjust. And I think as we grow up, our understandings of justice and injustice change. There's a guy named Jonathan Haidt. He's a professor of leadership at NYU, and he wrote this book a couple years back. I highly recommend it. It's called The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. 
And it's really a fascinating read, and he, he sheds light, Height does, on how our gre- cries of it's not fair morph into to bigger words and, and differing understandings. He says at some point, Height does, uh, we tend to view justice in some different ways. Some start to view justice as the equality of rights, civil and human, as the highest, it's the highest form of justice and fairness. And if there are some who do not share in that equality, we should do everything we can to level the playing field. Others, Height says, view justice more through a lens of proportionality. That is the idea that people should reap what they sow, people who work hard should get to keep their fruits of their labor, people should get what they deserve based on what they have done. Now, most of us view justice kind of combining these two definitions occasionally, but politics sometimes makes it seem that it is one or the other, which tends to shut down any and all discussion, which often leads to increased divide, gridlock, and no justice for anybody. We indeed have differing understandings of what justice looks like in our nation, as well as how to provide justice for those who need it. But we have to grapple with justice. As Americans, we have to, because justice is an American thing. The end of the Pledge of Allegiance for liberty and justice for all. The beginning of our Constitution, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. But before... It was an American thing, it was a God thing. And I wonder if the different understandings of justice in 21st century America, I wonder if any of those have anything to do with the understanding of justice that is in Scripture, particularly in the book of Micah. Now, as we dive in, there's a couple things I think you should know, I want to remind you of, about Micah. Micah is born in 750 B.C., which was a while ago, And he lives in the southern kingdom of Judah. If you remember, at one point, everybody was together and then they split. And the north, Israel, became its own thing and the south became Judah. And Micah starts writing about 725 and he has a warning. And his warning is based on what has just taken place, what has just happened to the northern kingdom of Israel. The superpower Assyria has just leveled the northern kingdom after a dispute about taxes. And so Micah has a warning for Judah that is essentially this. Did you see what happened to Israel? Did you see what happened to the northern kingdom? Because that same thing is headed for us. We too are going to be destroyed. But the reason has nothing to do with taxes. Here's the reason why. Our leaders, our priests, and our prophets have perpetrated great injustice. This is Micah's indictment, actually. Here it is. The leaders of Judah have become wealthy by theft and greed. They have fixed the property system so that they receive the most land and resources at the expense of others in the community. They bribe officials to get what they want. They bend justice to favor the wealthy and poor are deprived of land, of security, and hope. And not only that, but the prophets also. The prophets are so corrupt They have created a system where you pay a fee and I'll give you a blessing. (laughs) That's never happened before. Micah then writes a brutal few verses that describe the rich and powerful, the leadership, as devouring the poor. Listen to this. Here, leaders of Jacob, rulers of the house of Israel, isn't it your job to know justice? But you hate good and you love evil. 
You who tear the skin off of them and the flesh off their bones, you devour the flesh of my people. You take their skin and their bones in pieces and you put them in a pot like meat in a kettle. And Micah says to the leaders of Judah, judgment is coming because you have violated God's justice. You have perverted the very character of our God. For the prophet Micah, the idea of justice, I think, is more than a simple fairness. Justice seems more active than that. It feels like an active care for the forgotten. Justice is the protection of the less fortunate. Justice is operating fairly in systems of governance, not cheating or swindling. Justice is an active awareness, an active care for those who need care. And as Uncle Ben said to Peter Parker, with great power comes great responsibility. Y'all know Spider-Man well. And unfortunately, the leaders of Judah have, have used their power irresponsibly and for their own gain. And in the process, they have allowed injustice to rule. But God requires justice. The word for justice in Hebrew is mishpat. And you find it at least a, four, over, a little over 400 times in the Old Testament. And it occasionally refers to retributive justice. But more often than not, it refers to restorative justice, seeking out vulnerable and advocating and helping and changing structures to prevent what is happening in Micah, to prevent injustice. The same word is present in Isaiah chapter 1. Put an end to such evil, learn to do good, seek justice. And what is justice? Helping the oppressed, defending the orphan, pleading for the widow. We see it in Deuteronomy 10. God doesn't play favorites. God doesn't take bribes. God enacts Justice for orphans and widows, and he loves immigrants too, giving them food and clothing. That means you must also love immigrants because you were once immigrants in Egypt. You must also love the ones who are often forgotten because you know exactly how they feel. You were once in their place. I don't know if you know this, but the early Hebrew constitution, the economic system, worked mishpat, worked justice into its very foundation. It was one of Israel's ways of incorporating God's character into their government. You see it, one example, in Leviticus 25. If one of your fellow Israelites faces financial difficulty and is in a shaky situation with you, you must, you shall assist them as you would an immigrant or a foreign guest so that they can live among you. The first government of the Hebrew people of God had everything to do with justice, with mishpat, and it was centered on the active care of those who cannot care for themselves. And God reminds them that they were in the same spot in Egypt when God brought them out, and how dare they not allow the same deliverance for others. <laughs> That's the kind of justice that Micah is after, and it's the kind of justice that has been missing in the southern kingdom in Judah. So, in chapter 6, Micah describes a trial. Call it God versus the leaders of Judah. And God says to the leaders, take your stand in the court. Let's go. If you have a complaint, tell the mountains and the hills. They're the jury. So make your case, but FYI, I've already made mine. <laughs> Indeed, all of Micah's book, God has been building a case against the injustice of his people. And the people ask, so what should we do? 
We need a settlement. How can we settle the case? How can we stand before God and right our wrongs? What can we do to cancel the sin of injustice? And they offer these huge things. But God's answer is this. God has told you, mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires. In other words, this, you want a plea bargain? This is it. Here's how you make things right. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. God says the same thing in Amos. Don't give me religious festivals or worship gatherings or offerings or songs. Instead, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's Micah. God requires no thing or ritual. God requires action. (laughs) And the first of these actions is to do justice, to actively do the work of caring for those who have great need. That is true worship. And many of you know what that looks like. I don't know if you know this. Connor let me know. I don't think I knew this. Our church partners with 16 different missions in our community and the world. We see injustice at work and we want to help. We see injustice in our healthcare systems where some have to choose between paying for care or paying their rent. And this church partners with Coweta Samaritan Clinic in our community who offers healthcare in a way so that people don't have to choose. We see injustice in our families, so we've become partners with CASA, court-appointed special advocates for children. Because our children should have advocates who care for their interests so that they no longer feel neglected and they find a path to a safe and permanent home. We see injustice in a world where some can afford to eat, but some cannot. So we, we try to stock the shelves at one roof and bridging the gap with food items so that meal is not something to be anxious about. We live in a world of too much injustice, and we're trying to find ways to help because that is what God requires. And if we cannot be just, then we might as well give up our songs and our pews and our hymnals Because without the presence of justice, our worship is empty. But the cool thing is this. If you participate in justice enough times, it starts to change you. It starts to change your heart so that at some point, being just becomes second nature. It becomes who you are. It becomes the normal thing to do. I want to share one example, and then we'll come to the table I know a lot of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia. I I doubt a lot of you have read C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. (laughs) It's more more of an adult philosophical Narnia, I'd say. But the the first book is titled Out of the Silent Planet, and it tells the story of Dr. Ransom, who's taken on a rocket ship off to a distant planet. And while he's there, he starts to meet other sentient beings, and he learns that they have their own forms of operating. And Ransom makes friends, and with one member of the species. There's a few other on the planet, but he makes friends with one of the members of the species and he learns their language and he begins living with this group. And at one point, he's trying to understand how they exist with the other groups on the planet. How do you live together? And so he asks his alien friend, do you ever fight? And the alien says, what do you mean? Ransom continues, well, if you and a member of the other species wanted one thing, I don't know, say food, would you trade or would you fight for it? or try to take it by force, how would they get what they don't have if you have it? And the alien looks at Ransom very curiously, noticeably not understanding what Ransom is getting at, and asks Dr. Ransom, if somebody needed something, if somebody needed food, why would I not give it to them? 
Friends, that's justice. And that is someone who has participated in justice long enough that it has become who he is. And I pray that what happens in C.S. Lewis's distant planets, what happens to an alien on that distant planet, might actually make its home on this earth and in our hearts. I pray that happens to me and I pray that happens to you because there will be a day when we are called to account for our actions and our inactions. And if we have been inactive, if we have sat on the sidelines and allowed injustice to occur before us and there's something we could have done about it, hmm. I know you've heard this passage before from this pulpit, but a day will come when we are asked by our judge and deliverer, where were you? When I was hungry and thirsty, where were you? When I was alone and cold and in need, where were you? I tell you the truth, what you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. And an answer of, I didn't know, will not suffice because you know what God requires. And what is it that God requires, O mortal, but to do justice? May you do justice, and may you be just. May you be active pursuers of justice and not injustice. May you be someone who sees a need and wonders, why wouldn't I help? May it transform who you are, and through justice, may God lead us more and more toward the ultimate end of shalom, of peace on earth, when every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord be revealed, and all people will see it together. I pray for that day. And lucky for us, the table is a preview of that image.